sir. I appreciate it. Well, good morning. Good morning. Oh, let's see. I could see you, or I could see the message, one of the two. So uh, we'll choose the message this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. It's a pleasure to be able to serve you guys during Jeff's sabbatical. I know you've uh, experienced uh, Tim and Pastor Dave. Uh, I think Tim's going to be here next week, um, but we are just honored to be able to serve you guys and serve uh, my pastor, your pastor, Jeff. And so, uh, yeah, Jeff and I have go way back and uh, to the Oasis days, and along with uh, Vinny. You guys know Vinny, right? I got mistaken for Vinny today. I'm going to tell him about that. That's awesome. Yeah, I got mistaken for Vinny. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, it's good. I think it's the bald head thing. So, um, yeah, Jeff had to grow hair at some point because they thought we were a cult, but um, not so much, not so much. So if you have your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read the uh, first 18 verses over you, and I just think there's something uh, about reading God's Word, and so I pray that you will allow God to open your heart and hear from the words of our Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that the day of Christ I may be proud of you and did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Lord, your word says through Isaiah that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. And so we thank you for the words that you have given the Apostle Paul. And now to us, I pray that you will bless them, that you will... Enlighten them, God, that you will open our hearts 
to hear from you in a way that we haven't, haven't uh, even all week, all, all year, all our whole life. Lord, speak to us in the preaching of your word, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is an honor to preach chapter 2 of Philippians. Uh, Philippians is probably one of my most favorite of the epistles. Uh, Acts chapter 16 uh, records the roots of the Philippian church when it was planted. And then nearly 10 years later, the apostle Paul is, is in a prison in Rome. And then he writes this letter to encourage the church a decade before, or a decade after he had planted it. Think about it, that Paul is in prison and he's writing this letter to encourage those outside of the prison. Again, this, this, just the fact of him writing this just amazes me more because Paul knew that even though he was suffering, that his church in Philippi was suffering as well. He knew that the people needed encouragement because persecution had become a regular thing in the church at the time. And because this word is the word of God, it can become an encouragement for us today. It's not likely that we're going to face this kind of persecution that the early church faced, but, but nonetheless, we don't have to look at the past three years to understand that we have gone through some stuff, amen? The Barna Group says, uh, took a survey and found that 38% of pastors were seriously considering leaving full-time ministry in 2021. One of them was me. After officiating my 19th funeral in May of 2021, I was seriously questioning my calling. Eric Marino, I don't know if you know Eric Marino, he says, Mike, you studied to become a pastor, not a hospice chaplain. And when you love your church, I love my church, and you lose what I would call fathers and grandfathers, it was tough. It was tough. I was able to uh, go on a three-month sabbatical and... Uh, I was encouraged by God's people and by God's word and returned in a much better place. And um, it was in that time that God affirmed his love for me and helped me to take my eyes off myself and put it back on others. Now, I know each of us uh, express uh, the way we feel uh, during tough times in certain ways. I uh, always put pen to paper. That is my way. I love to write. And... Um, by God's grace, after my sabbatical, I published Uncomfortable Grace, uh, The Mystery of Suffering at the end of 2021, which uh, humbly, gracefully, Acts 29 uh, made it one of the top 10 best reads of the year in 2021. I have brought five copies. I think my wife has four left, I think. And so if you guys think that that would be a help for you, uh, please see uh, us after the service, and we'd love to give you one. But, um, but uh, God... <laughs> uses what seems to be incredible interruptions in our lives to deliver the, what he has promised. And so like the Philippian church, we need to embrace and encourage one another with a the theology of suffering. Philippians is God's encouragement to a suffering church, to a church that is going through tough times, and it's God's encouragement to continue to go and to press on. And so in, in, in chapter 1 in Philippians, God, God, we see this tremendous... Uh, a demonstration of faith when Paul says these things. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Sitting in prison, talking like this. And then in 19, he says, and I know through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Tremendous faith. 
Have you heard the, the saying that you can't see the forest through the trees sometimes? Sometimes we just got stuff coming at us at every different angle. Paul had this understanding that, that God, the God that he served, was in control of the outcomes and not just the events. And so we get caught up sometimes, I think, with, with always looking at what's going on right around us. Instead, we need to step back a minute. And Paul reminds us here, step back and remember that God is for you. And that he, is, he, he, he never is going to forsake you. And nothing will ever separate you from the love of Christ through, through Christ. Nothing will ever separate that. Paul has this, this amazing faith from the, the pits of a prison. And he says, step back and remember that God is for you. And he will remain faithful in your life. Peter says something that's very challenging to 21st century ears. He says this, he says, beloved... Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Who's rejoicing over suffering right now? <laughs> Thank you, God. Yay. <laughs> Appreciate that. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Your suffering will not be the end of you. That's what he's saying. He's saying you're going to share in Christ's suffering, but guess who what? Jesus lives. <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead, and he is not going to be the last to raise from the dead. He's only the, the one of the first fruits of the resurrection. It's such good news. We just need to get it from here to here, I think, right? Don't miss the peace of God, the joy of God by 18 inches. Or if you're short like Pastor Jeff, it's 14 inches, but... <laughs> We'll see if he's actually on a sabbatical today. <laughs> I will get that call. But it, listen, family, it is in our suffering that we get to experience God's delivering grace, his sustaining grace, and his transforming grace in the here and now. God loves you. He loves you deeply. He loves us all so deeply that he's willing to allow us to go through these things, that we may experience more of him, more of him. Paul uses, we come to chapter 2, and we, we learn how to live like Jesus. And he uses the great example, greatest example of a servant leader, and that is Jesus himself. That he is the model for all times, especially through tough times. And we can do this. We can do this with God's help because the Holy Spirit resides in every believer. And the same spirit that accompanied Jesus to the cross and out of the grave lives in you. He is ready and willing to give you the gifts of the Spirit, that you might produce the fruit of the Spirit. So let's unpack, uh, unpack the text. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you have your notes, I think everybody had one, uh, we do the fill-in-the-blank thing, and so hopefully you have a pen there. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit... Any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy of being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so we're instructed here that amid difficulties, we should not look out for number one. But this certainly runs counter to our culture today, right? 
Everything is geared for your comfort. Everything is geared for, number one, to take care of yourself. And Paul says here, no, this is not the way the Christian operates. This leads me to my first point that I want to make today, if you're following along in your notes. It says, to be a servant like Jesus, we should not, that's your fill in the blank, only look after uh, uh, our own well-being, but of the well-being of others. Now, I'm simply repeating what Paul says and having you write it down because, because it's, it sounds simple, <laughs> but it's one of the biggest hang-ups in the church is selfishness. It, it is, it's plaguing the church today. Like the enemy has us, even, well, we'll blame the enemy because we want to go to the extreme, but we, like, are constantly looking inward upon ourselves and our own needs and our own desires. And here, Paul says, look at the needs of others. You can take care of your own needs, but also look at the needs of others. And then again, Jesus becomes the greatest example. While he was on the cross, you might be thinking, man, this is a time where he needs to be thinking about himself. Get off the cross. How long is this going to take? Just get it over with. But no. What did Jesus do? Jesus looks down and he cares for John and Mary. He says, this is your son. Mother, this is your son. Son, this is your mom. Take care of each other. Don't leave her uh, alone. John, you need to watch over her. You're going to be okay, mom, because John's here and he's going to take care of you. He didn't say, take me down. He said to the guy next to him, the thief on the cross, he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He cared about the man next to him. He prayed in agony to the Father, saying, Father, forgive all these people who are persecuting me and the ones who put me here on the cross. I'm praying that you would forgive them because they do not know what they do. Is that your dying words when people persecute you? It is, is that your living words when people persecute you? Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea. Jesus becomes our example. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And um, he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Would you agree with that? The greatest commandment, the greatest thing that you can do is love God and love others. If loving God and loving your neighbor is the greatest commandment, wouldn't the greatest sin then be the failure to love? The failure to love? And I'm not suggesting that we should be soft on morality, but if your Christian walk is all about you battling sin, or keeping the law and keeping all the rules, then you're either going to be in a state of guilt and shame all the time looking inward on yourself, or you're going to uh, be in a state of pride and arrogance looking down on others as you look in the mirror thinking that you can keep all the rules. And then ultimately, your walk is now all about you. It's not about loving God and loving others. It's all about shaming you, not loving yourself, looking all about you, or thinking that you're better than others. Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There is no law. 
There is no, like, the spirit of, the fruit of the spirit is love, and against such things, there is no law. And it's no wonder, man, that, that Christians, like, they come in here, and then they hear about sin, and then we all just turn into sin managers. And then we, and then, because we look, we're constantly looking at us, and we're not loving God as much as we're loving others as much as we are just trying to manage our lives. And then you fill out a list that you think you can do, and then you pridefully think that you got this. Or you live in this perpetual state of guilt and shame where you're never looking upon the love of God, which will manifest out of love for others. The more you look at the love of God, you'll be satisfied. You won't need to reach out to other things for satisfaction. You won't need to continue to fail in sin. I don't know that anybody has said, man, I have spent my life loving God and loving others, and it sucked. <laughs> Nobody says that. Even before the terrible day on the cross, Jesus placed his focus on the Father's will and constantly thinking about the well-being of others. Did Jesus ever say, manage your sin? He says, repent of it. <laughs> He says, turn from it, choose the better way. But he said, no, love God. The greatest commandment is love God and love me. And so we look out for others, and the well, we look out for ourselves, and we also look out for the well-being of others. Verse 5. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Again, if anyone had the right to be self-righteous and demand worship here, it would be Jesus. Do you agree? Because he was righteous, and he is God. But when Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself. He humbled himself by living a life of service. And then he humbled himself to even the point of death. And beyond the humility, Jesus suffered the kind of death that was filled with so much shame and guilt. So much shame. And, and, and so, so why? So that you didn't have to. Because I think the majority of the church are not the, the, the older brothers that are, are pridefully thinking they got this. The, but the majority of the people in the church are the ones who are, are constantly looking in the mirror and, and condemning themselves for the things that they did this last week. And we're constantly looking at our sin and looking at our shortcomings and looking at that. And he's saying, love God and love one another. Just focus on me for a minute, not you anymore right now. You are completely forgiven. Can you just receive that? Can you receive the fact that God has taken every sin that you have ever did and ever will do into account, and he said, you are clean. You are forgiven. You are free. And know that, 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 you are, that this is your status. This is who you are because I love you. I love you with an everlasting love, with an all-forgiving love, with a love that, can, you can, that cannot leave you or forsake you. 
And so will you just focus on my love for you for a minute? Again, I'm not trying to be soft on morality or soft on sin, but, but man, would you get your eyes off yourself for a minute and consider others more important, Paul would say. Jesus took your guilt and he took your shame, but it wasn't by accident. It was his purpose. It's the path that he chose to walk. Scholar and uh, Bible scholar Gordon Fee, get his book, it's called Reading the Bible for, for All It's Worth. Really good book. He tells us that this passage right here is a complete picture of what God is like. That he has come to seek and to save the lost. He is a sacrifice for many. But the good news is that Paul's letter in, Ephes or in Philippians does not leave Jesus in the grave. That we see the Father exalts Jesus and raises him back to life. That his name will be above every name so that everyone can confess that Jesus is Lord. So that everyone can confess that he is the Lord. He is the one who, can, who, who, can, who rules and reigns in our lives. That he is the one that wants to free his church. That his church may, may walk with a, a real, genuine joy. Man, this is our church is characterized by happy, joyful, exuberant. Exalting Jesus. Are we here like, Jesus, you are so amazing. You love us so much. You know Jesus loves you, and I love you too. I mean, these are like the expressions that come out of understanding how much you are loved by the King Jesus. And this was his purpose for coming. To seek and to save the lost. To make unbelievers believers. To change the hearts of men and women. To reconcile sinners back to the holy God. And this needs to be our number one priority in the church. But I wonder what the world sees when they see their church today. Do they see the church selfish, ambition, conceited, constantly looking inward on ourselves? Or do they see a church in love with God that expresses itself in their love for others? Have I beat that enough? The Apostle Paul tells us that our example is Jesus. And that we have to have the same attitude and posture, humility and love. During times of trouble and persecution, we're tempted to defend ourselves. When people misunderstand us at school or work or people ridicule us and our faith in public. When our family members don't understand our faith, we're, 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 we're faced to, we face the temptation of, of, of being defensive. Our culture is so polar divided, but it's not us and them. It's not Democrat or Republican. It's not Fox News or CNN. It's love God and love your neighbor, despite their differences. Because Jesus took all of your differences into account, and he still chose to love you. He still chose to walk the path that he walked. He still chose to die for you. He still chose to live for you. And Paul says, I want you to have that same humble mindset that we can look beyond our differences and have the posture of our Lord Jesus. So it leads me to number two. You're like, number two, man, how much more do we got? So number two, <laughs> the apostle Paul says that we should have the same humility of heart and the posture of Jesus our Lord. We hear this countless times in Scripture, but the Bible says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. 
How different is this from our society? When you turn on the, 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 the news, do you see humility there? Nothing. From both sides. It's ridiculous. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy to think that Jesus' main, last main prayer for the church was one of unity and not division. One of God would just make them one like we are one. Like we are one. And, and Jesus was the first one to submit to the Father's will and love for the Father. And not division. Do we focus on the things that divide us more? Do we f- seek the things, the love of God, the cross of Jesus Christ that, that was meant to bring us together, to break down the walls of hostility in our world, not just our churches? It's not for us. We'll get to that here in a minute. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, that when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him, his ways. We are to die to our old ways of responding to people and situations around us. We are to die to the self that keeps us in the state of perpetual guilt and shame. You have the freedom to be free today, family. Take your sin seriously. Repent. Get the help you need. But die to the, to the perpetual state of guilt and shame that we live in every time we look in the mirror. God loves you. You are beautiful. He accepted you. He took everything you've done in account and still chose you as a beloved child of God. We are to die to the self-righteous pride of those who think that they can really work this Jesus thing out. And we're to die to every way that keeps us from loving God and loving one another. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you always obeyed, So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When he says to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, we know that we are saved by grace through faith. So is Paul like changing his mind here? What's the deal here? I don't think Paul's changing his mind. I think what he's saying here is that we've been given the gift of salvation, And that we have received this gift, and it is our responsible response to work this salvation out, to to imitate what it means to to be like Christ and to take our faith seriously. Dallas Willard famously said that grace is not opposed to effort, it's just opposed to earning. This leads me to my next point, number three. Jesus gave us the free gift of salvation, and now his desire is now to mature in our faith, and obedience is the path to the Christian maturity. Now, let me ask you a question. When you hear the word obedience, where does your mind go? Just a little self-examination right now. Where does your mind automatically go when you hear the word obedience? When you hear the word obedience, does your mind take you immediately to your personal failures? What you looked at in your computer last week? The constant thing that you keep driving yourself to that is not good for you? Or the countless other ways that you've messed up? When you think of obedience, is that where your mind goes? If so, I want to challenge you by saying that the Christian walk is more about you, if that is true just to nail it down. And it's less about loving God and loving one another. 
Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. <laughs> he didn't say, obey me, and that's an expression of love. He said, love me, and you will obey me. Again, I'm not trying to be soft on personal morality. You guys got your issues, you got to deal with them. But is your main priority to love God? Is your main motivator is to love others? The path of Christian maturity is to obey the greatest commandment, which is to love God and love one another. Paul wasn't saying just do everything right, guys. He's saying love God and love one another. And even in my absence, all the more, do it all the more. So people need to rise up and, and, and deepen their, their love for God and their love for one another while I'm in my absence. Let Jeff come back from his sabbatical knowing that you guys have reached across the, the room and loved one another well during his absence. That you loved God, that you, you sought him out, that your, your, your faith has increased. You've deepened your faith since his absence. Don't, don't come here... Like, come, don't let him come back with this church in a void, in a deficit, because we failed to love God well and love one another well. In this final passage, we discover that the blameless and pure are those who are saved by Jesus, right? And that they shine forth in hard times. Look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generations, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Hold fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ you may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even I am poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, and I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You can tell that the Apostle Paul is quite the preacher but, uh, because he's so practical in his writing. He tells them, hey, do everything without complaining and arguing. Is there any complaining and arguing going on, right? Like, like this is true for both individuals and a community of faith. And this leads me to number four. And there it says, set aside complaining and arguing is a discipline that is only possible when God's people humble themselves and realize the blessings of grace and salvation that they've been given. I think we forget what we have been given in Christ when we start complaining and grumbling. Christians have been saved by God's amazing grace, motivated by, motivated by unconditional love. He has chosen you by name. We have been completely forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future. We're accepted into the family of God forever. The Holy Spirit now lives in you and enables you and empowers you to love God and love one another well. And because you're a follower of Christ, even though you die, Jesus says that you will live a resurrected life, that you, that you have an eternal inheritance in heaven waiting for you. And when Jesus decides to return and establish his kingdom on earth, you'll be with him for eternity in a place where there's perfect peace and no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death, no more. And yet, we're complaining a lot and arguing a lot. What do we have to complain about, really? What do we have to argue about? The Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And Paul here is saying that there, 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 if there is a community of faith who will, who will live together and love God and love one another without complaining and arguing, that, that it would shine forth like a light in the world. You want to know why that is? Because it's the complete opposite of our world. 
They're constantly arguing and complaining and grumbling. Like, he's too left, he's too right, he's too gay, he's too straight, he's too this, he's too that. We're all complaining. I don't have enough of this, I don't have enough of that, I'm not satisfied, it's this and that. And, and here we have all of this secured for us by Christ. And he says, if, I just, if, if this community would live together and love me, and love God and love one another without arguing and complaining, you would shine like a bright light in the world. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. See, people are so unhappy today because, because we're asking things of this world that were never meant to bring us happiness and joy to do that. Consumerism is our culture. I heard consumerism is like drinking water from the ocean. It only makes you more thirsty. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And having a relationship with Jesus the, and loving God and loving one another, this will bring, make you happy. This will bring you lasting joy. Paul says, even if I'm poured out like a drink offering upon a sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. See, God wants us to be a joyful people. He wants you to be glad. Another way of saying he wants you to be happy. And when you love God and love others, joy will shine forth in you. And it will be a witness to a watching world because it is so countercultural. Paul ends here saying this. He says, hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be poured out, or I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Both a wonderful and challenging command here. This leads me to the last one. Final point in your bulletin. <clears throat> when you hold fast to the word of life, God will open up opportunities to hold out the words of life, offering them to our families, our friends, and our community. This is the light that Paul is talking about. This will be a demonstration of God's kingdom coming to earth. The second chapter of Philippians puts us in touch with the very heart of what it means to follow Jesus and serve like him in all times, not just troubling times. And when Paul wrote this letter to comfort the brothers and sisters of Philippi, he, he pointed to Jesus as our greatest example. Nobody here will ever suffer as much as our king did. Nobody. But he suffered for the greatest purpose. And so when you do suffer, because I don't want to minimize your suffering, even if it, has, it, it never comes to pass, listen to this. If your suffering will point you and point your eyes off of yourself and back on Jesus, it, your suffering now becomes a point of worship. It comes to a place to where you, you focus, you're not looking inward anymore, but you're looking to Christ who suffered the greatest suffering ever so that one day this will be the worst suffering you ever suffer. You'll never have to suffer for eternity because of Christ. His example of humility and service is, service is in our reach, and it is to be our witness, a bright light to a watching world. Generations, it's an honor to serve you this morning. I just pray that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the example. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your example that you have given to us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are our comforter, that you are our companion, that you are our helper. 
God, we need you, Holy Spirit, to now take these words and graft them on our heart, but transform us in the way that we walk, Lord. And, and I pray that our testimony would be that, that our churches and our members would be known for their love for God and their love for one another. So God, to you be the glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.